Esther chapter 6 is where we're going to be tonight. We're going to start a reading in chapter 2. So if you want to turn back just a page or two there, we'll read just a few verses, and then we'll read the most of chapter 6. And this will give us a little context for the verses ahead. The book of Esther, one of the main characters is, of course, the man Mordecai. And some Bible scholars even suggest that the book Esther could have been named Mordecai. Of course, Esther plays a prominent role as well in the book, and, but Mordecai did too, and tonight's story is about him. And so in verse 21 of chapter 2, the Bible says, In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth. And so they sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus, and uh, that king would be interchangeable with King Xerxes, the same man. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out, therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. And so Mordecai literally saves the king's life because of what he hears, and he comes forth and he, he does this good deed. And that's kind of forgotten as we proceed into the rest of the book. But in chapter 6, the Bible brings this back up again. And so... Chapter 6, between these two chapters, there was a man named uh, Haman, and many of you would know this story, but Haman was an evil man who sought to exterminate the Jews, uh, and so he, he, was, he was trying to exterminate them, and he had Mordecai as his number one chief enemy. He wanted to wipe out Mordecai, and so this story happens. So verse 1, on that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? So he's, he's thinking about this story, and he's remembering this moment, and the fact that he could have died. And, and, and so he's saying, well, what did we do for that guy that, that you know, took care of this problem for us? And then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, well, there's nothing done for him. And the king said, Who's in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king, to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. Talk about bad timing. <laughs> or, or good timing. It depends on your view of God's sovereignty. So verse 6. So Haman came in. And the king said unto him, What shall be done of the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? And so, boy, the chest gets a little puffy here. The head's pretty big. And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor, honor, well, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, the horse that the king rideth upon, the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the king withal, whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him in on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And then the king said to Haman, Make haste, and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew, that sitteth at the king's gate, and let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken." So then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the, city of the, through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house mourning 
and having his head covered. All right, let's pray tonight. Father, thank you for this great story in your word and the admonition that it gives us and the simple truths here that we might be reminded of to live by. Lord, I ask that you'd speak to our hearts tonight, help us to find points of application and pinpoint those areas as only your Holy Spirit can uh, that we need to act or, 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 or be helped by. And so would you speak to us and move us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We went around the room tonight and asked for definitions of success. Uh, they would vary. We're Christians for the most part here tonight. I would think that most people here tonight have asked the Lord to save them and come into their heart and be their personal Savior. And so this, of course, would be a Wednesday night crowd. And I would assume most, if not all of us, have done that here tonight. And so our definition of success would reflect perhaps that value at some degree. Uh, but the world would define it certainly a different way. Jesus helps us because we even though we might be able to define success with our words and priorities with our mouths, our actions don't always reflect the things we know are most important. And so the Bible calls us again and again to realign our priorities, realign what you're doing, the way you're thinking, the way you're living, make sure it's in line with God's Word. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives us this classic story about this man who spent his life accumulating riches, and that was his goal. And that was, that was his focus in life. And toward the end of his life, he had a surplus. And praise the Lord for surplus. There's nothing wrong with surplus. There's no evil in surplus. And the man thought to himself, you know, I don't know what to do with all this stuff, so I'm going to build a bigger barn. And, and for our purposes tonight, very few of us would own barns, but we might think to ourselves, oh, you know, I've got a surplus here. Let's build a bigger house, buy a nicer car, do something more, go on more trips, whatever, whatever that might be for you. And none of that was evil. But what the man did was he neglected his soul. He neglected God. He neglected other people. His sole focus was on growing the business. His sole focus was on, on, on growth and on revenue and on what he was going to do with all that profit. And he didn't think about his heart, eternity, God, other people. And God said, those things aren't necessarily evil, but your neglect is evil. And that's not going to work. And this night thy soul shall be required of thee. I guess I'm going to take you home. I'm going to get you out of the picture. I'm going to take your life from you. Now, who's do those things, who do those things belong to? Because they don't belong to you any longer. This man did not live for others. He lived for himself. And God said that's not true success. God defines success as this, laying up treasure in heaven. And Jesus said, where moth and rust don't corrupt, where thieves don't break through, they can't take it. He said, that's where you put everything. That's where you want to build revenue. That's where you want a bigger barn. It's in the kingdom of heaven. Success, then, in God's terms, is found in doing good towards other people and protecting their interests and looking out for their best interests and not just your own. And the world's value system, and we know this, it's completely opposite of that. It's a race and winners finish first, no matter the cost. Ken Blanchard is a business leader and a Christian, and he said, nice guys may appear to finish last, but usually they are running in a different race. And I, and I love that. You know, to me, it's kind of like targets. And if, 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 if I was to have lunch or, or sit down with a business leader, or, or if you were, and, and, or, and, and they were saying, well, here's the target of success in life. And this is what every business book and success help, self-help book says, this is the target. And, 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 you and you're taking your shots and they might assess your life or mine. And, and they might say, well, boy, you're, you're really missing the target here. And, 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 and a godly man or a godly woman who's trying to follow the Lord might say, yeah, but I'm not aiming at that target. 
I'm aiming at that target. It's, it's, a, it's a different, it's a totally different ideology. It's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of living. It's, it's a different path. It's a different goal. And Jesus said, the ones you think are in last place, the ones that you think driving maybe the, driving the car that isn't as fancy or maybe not living in as big a house, he goes, those guys might, not always, but those guys might be the ones really in first place. Now, that's no guarantee that they're in first place. You can drive a nice car and still be in first place in the kingdom of heaven too. But that's because where our hearts are at. And so they're living for something that the rest of the world doesn't see or doesn't understand. And the question tonight that I want us to answer, and we'll come back to this a few times, is simply this, what good am I doing for other people? Because that's the currency of heaven. That's the thought process the Lord wants us to have, to not neglect others. It's not about what's in the bank account. It's about where's your heart? Are you thinking about the Lord? Are you thinking and living with the, with, about your soul and, and living with it, that as a priority? And are you thinking about and valuing the Lord? It is those who do good for their fellow man that are remembered. It is those who do good for their fellow man that are rewarded in this life and in the one to come. And, and we can make being a Christian really complicated, but sometimes it's just as simple as being and doing good. Like, that's kind of it. Like, if we were to reduce it to a statement, it would just be, be a good person and do good. And this matters so much more than other things in life. Not necessarily looking good, not sounding good, but doing and being good. And sometimes, as Christians, we can fall into the trap of thinking that external trappings of Christian success matter more than the good we do. You know, tonight our doctrine, it matters. Our dress, it matters. Our deportment, it matters. The cleanliness of the building and the excellence and the orderliness of things that are done here, they all matter. But those things aren't as important as being good people. Those things aren't as important as our spirit and our attitude and our treatment of each other. And, and the way that we interact with the world and caring about lost souls and truly loving them and not seeing Christianity as a checklist to perform. Jesus said in Matthew 23 to some religious leaders, he said, you guys are so concerned that the outside of the cup or the bowl or the platter would be, would be clean. And you've, just, you, you, you've made this perfectly good, beautiful cup. But when you look inside, it's got leftovers that are dried and they're crusty. And he said, what matters more isn't the outside being clean. What matter, and not that that doesn't matter. It would matter to me, it'd matter to you. But it's secondary to the inside being clean. And, and, the, and the contents that it's holding, those things matter so much more. And so in our story tonight, we find the contrast of two men who could not be more different in their approach to life. Here's Mordecai. He's the protagonist. He's the hero of the story. He was a man who was interested in other people, and he was constantly looking out for their best interests. And we see it early on in the story because here was Esther whose parents are out of the picture and Mordecai takes her in and uses his resources. This is not his daughter. Sure, he's related to her, but he maybe didn't have the obligation. Maybe there was someone else that could have taken her in too, but he took her in and he stewarded her and he raised her and he protected her and he nurtured her and he trained her and he taught her and he put a lot of, uh, of emotional and financial investment into her. Then we see him in chapter 2, and he's protecting the king's life. 
And then he looks out for the best interest of his heritage. There was a reason that Haman hated him because Mordecai was standing up for his people. And he had the courage and the stamina to say, look, you know, if no one else sees this and if no one else is going to do right, I need to. And God's put me in a position to be a help and I'm going to use that. And he did. And the man had a lot of courage and strength in the face of of a lot of fear and overwhelming odds. And, And then on top of all that, he was the one who pushed back on Esther when she was supposed to go in before the king. He was the one that looked at this woman that he loved that he raised like his own daughter, and she said, I can't do what you're asking me. And he asked her to risk her life, and he pushes back on her and says, for such a time as this, you've come into the kingdom, Esther. And he had the courage to stand up to her too and and to risk losing that relationship and to risk her disinterest and dislike of him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul said, look not every man on his own things. Like, Like those things are important, sure. But are you looking at the other things of others? And he said, every man also on those things of others. And this was the life Mordecai lived. And we're still talking about his life. Because he put other people first. And he cared about them and he invested in them. And he gave of his resources to them. And he sacrificed and he served and he had courage and he had dignity and he had respect. Mordecai was interested in other people and he was constantly looking out for their best interests. Okay, contrast that with Haman. He was only interested in serving and exalting himself. That's all he cared about. It's it's, it's all he could see. In a way, it's almost like you feel sorry for him because that was just the lens through which he saw life. He had no other filter. He didn't even know that he was that selfish and myopic and, and preoccupied. And, and the truth is this, if we were honest tonight, we're, we're sometimes a lot more like Haman than we are like Mordecai. Because if you're not intentionally choosing to be a Mordecai, we default into Haman mode. And, and unless we're intentionally thinking, I'm going to think about others, I'm going to serve them, I'm going to think about their perspective and their heart and their interests, and when they come into church, I'm going to consider what, how, how they're seeing things. And I'm going to think about where they're parking. And I'm going to think about their smile. And I'm going to think about the lost soul on my street. And I'm going to put their interests ahead of my own. And I'm going to have that kind of courage. And I'm going to have that kind of strength. And I'm going to take of my finances. And I'm not going to get any tax credit. And no one's going to see me give it. And there's going to be no giving record. And I'm going to give to this other person and just bless them. And unless we're intentional to be be like a Mordecai, we just default into Haman mode. He was so full of himself. And it just never occurred to him that other people around him might have something helpful to offer the king and the kingdom. And so he walks in and and, and the king says, you know, something special happened. And Haman automatically thinks, well, I'm special and I do special things. And, And you are special. And you might think you're special. And you are. But so are other people. And so are their viewpoints. And so is their life. And so, are their, so, so is their background. And all Haman could think about was him. To whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? That was his filter. It's the height of arrogance and self-absorption. Before, too harsh on him, remember, we struggle with this. It's not just lost men who struggle with this attitude. 
Good Christians can too. Christian institutions can begin to think that way. Like they're the epicenter of Christianity. Churches can begin to think that way. Like we're the only good church in, in the world. I mean, we are, but let's not think that way. <laughs> I'm teasing. We got to be careful with that. Be careful with that kind of haughty spirit and attitude. We're, there's a lot of good places. Ministry leaders can begin to think that way. We have to be careful with this, dads and moms. Us tonight, we can get arrogant and self-absorbed. And, and he just thought his opinion was supreme. He had an opinion. It was a strong opinion. He, 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 he had facts for his opinion. He had reasons why the Jews were evil people, and why Mordecai should be hanged. He had good reasons. And he was, he was about to go into the king and give all those reasons. And his opinion was, that's all that mattered to Mordecai. He wouldn't consider any, or to Haman. He wouldn't consider any other point of view. He was the center of attention. He, he, if, if you didn't like him or have affection for him, well, then you were an enemy. But the world was bigger than Haman. And it's bigger than you and I tonight. There are other people who matter, who have opinions. And, and, and we're, we're called to defer and to think about that. There are other people who are of value. There are other people that are smarter, they're wiser, better than you. They may have a different point of view. It doesn't make them evil. And I'm not, I'm not saying when it violates God's truth, that's different. But I'm saying we need to be kind, open, and thoughtful towards others. Mordecai got it, and Haman did not. And there's this incredible contrast between the two men. Because one man said, you know what, I'm going to consider other points of view. And I'm going to consider other people. And the other man said, it's just all about me. Like, if it doesn't fit into my purview, then you're my enemy, and you should deserve to die. But those types of thinking lead to different places. And so while it looked like Mordecai was in last place, it looked like he was losing the race. It looked like Mordecai was on this trajectory, and boy, he was completely missing the target. But in the end, he was elevated and honored because he wasn't aiming at the target. He was over here. He was running a different race. And here was Haman, who in the world's eyes was success, and, and he had power, and he had influence, and he, he thought, you know what, I'm basically the king here, and so dress me up like one. And yet it was Haman who was put down, and he was disgraced. See, those who look to exclusively benefit themselves, they live shallow and joyless lives. You cannot make a difference, and you cannot be loved when you are your top priority. And we see this in sports. The ball hog, they've got great statistics. They have the most points on the team. They're, you know, when I, I, say, I was going to say their name's printed in the newspaper. I'm dating myself a little bit there, because they used to date the, put the statistics in the newspaper when I was a young man, um, younger man. <clears throat> he looks awesome. But his team wins no championships. His teammates resent him. The fans are frustrated with him. So here's this question. How do you know if you're a ball hog in life? How do you know if you're selfish? How do you know if you're not considering and being thoughtful towards the viewpoints of other people and their needs? Well, here was a man who put together, he was a social scientist, he put together a list of recent books that addressed the subject of selfishness. And he found nine common traits 
between these books. And so here's nine of, the, nine of them. You have a hard time understanding what selfishness is. <laughs> I mean, here's the guy calling everyone else that they're selfish. Here, know anybody like that? Well, you're selfish. And they don't even know what it means. I mean, they're using that word so liberally. And, and, and they're probably the one that really is selfish. You freak out when you're not in control. Like, things don't go your way. And, and, and people aren't living up to your standard or doing what you said, and boy, you just lose control. You're not good at collaborating at work. Uh, you blame others for everything. It's not your fault that things turned out the way they did. You constantly want more, even when you have everything that you need. You find it impossible to forgive past hurts. I'm not going to let go of that. I'm never going to forget. Social gatherings begin and end with you complaining. And we might add that church sometimes can be that way too. We walk in complaining and we walk out complaining. We have trouble finding empathy in relationships. And you can't fit friends into your schedule. And all of us could probably look at that list and say, yeah, one or two of those stings a little bit. There's a little bit of Haman in me. See, Jesus asked us over and over again, to work at, to think about, to put other people first. Putting others first, it is a Christian virtue. It is what distinguishes us, us ultimately from other people. It's not our clothes. Again, clothes are important. Dressing up for the Lord and all these other principles that we live by, yes. But that's not what makes us distinctly Christian or good or righteous by any standard. There are reasons for that. It's not our bank accounts. It's not our trappings of success. I want you to turn just for, for freshness in our minds to Luke chapter 6. Fresh, these are words the Lord spoke. We've read and preached many times. But they're so important. We need them not just memorized in our minds, but in our, written upon our hearts. And Jesus said, I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Man, that's tough. It's, it's never not been tough. It was tough then. It's tough now. I've been a Christian most of my life, my entire adult life. It's still tough. Do good to them which hate you. Like, they hate you. They despise you. They don't like you. And Jesus says, yep, and do good to them. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. You have a prayer list? How many on your prayer list are those who are despiteful of you. And unto them that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, well, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, and what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. So that's not hard. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. So be therefore merciful as your Father also 
is merciful. And Jesus is just pointing out the obvious here. Our thinking goes like this. I'll do good to someone if I think that person deserves it. And, or, if I think they can return me in good. In other words, if I think you can do me good, then I'm going to do you good. If I think you deserve good, I'll do you good. But that's not the Christian standard. Jesus says, I know you think that way, but he said sinners act that way too, and you're not sinners. And in other words, not that you don't sin, but you're righteous in the sight of God. The question Jesus challenged us was, was not, does this person deserve for me to be good to them? The question Jesus wants us to ask is, to whom can I be a neighbor? Or said another way, to whom can I do good? Like, I'm just looking for an opportunity. How can I be good to you? How can I serve you? No matter your position, no matter how you've treated me, no matter what you've said to hurt my feelings, no matter, no matter how different you are in your viewpoint of life, how can I be good to you? That's the standard. It's tough. Who is there in my life that I can serve, regardless of their affiliations or belief structure? Who can I bless? Who can I protect? Who can I help? Mordecai protected a king that may or may not have deserved his protection. I mean, King Xerxes was not a saint. And you study history, this dude was terrifying. He was ready at the command of Haman to eradicate the entire Jewish people. God intervened, but he's ready to go. He would have done it, minus this intervention from Esther and Mordecai. He's not a good guy, but that wasn't the point. And that's not Jesus' point either. The point is that Mordecai did a good deed, and he protected the interests of another. And doing good simply says this, I'm going to put other people first. And doing good is when we are people who take action. It wasn't enough for Mordecai to have good intentions to save the king. It wasn't like, man, that'd be nice to save his life. Or maybe there's some benefit in this for me. That wasn't the motivation that we read about in the text. He had to act. He had to get up. He, he had to risk his own life and his relationships. Something had to be done and someone had to do it. See, ultimately you are defined not by your intentions, not by sitting there and thinking, boy, I really should get a track and invite that person the Lord's laid on my heart to church. I really should write their name on a prayer list because I don't even have a prayer list. But if I had a prayer list, I would write their name on it and I would pray for them every day to get saved. I, I should pray and ask God to use me to reach other people. I, 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 I see that need in the, in, the, in the church. I see that person sitting there who needs someone to smile at them and greet them and be their friend and sit down and talk to them for 10 minutes. I should do that. There, there's a world of difference between intention and action. There's just a world of difference. It's everything. We're not judged by your intent. We all have good intentions. You are judged and you are rewarded or not rewarded based on what you do. Your actions define you. His quote by Albert Einstein, you know, he says the world's a dangerous place. Of course, that would be the context of World War II, Nazi Germany, he himself being a Jew. He said the world's a dangerous place, not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look on and they do nothing. See, it's through action that lives are changed. Good things happen because good people make them happen. We're, we're all really good at saying, 
man, somebody should do something about that. Somebody needs to fix that. Somebody needs to clean that. You know, someone needs to reach out to that person. Someone, someone, someone needs to, you know, d- 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 schedule that event. Someone needs to serve in that area of ministry. We can all see the need. Some people see or they hear a story and then they react to it emotionally. They hear an emotional message and so they respond emotionally. Or they hear something that intellectually stimulates them and so they respond intellectually. But then they go no further. It was an emotional response to an emotional plea. It was an intellectual response to an intellectual plea. And those things aren't wrong or evil, by the way. But responding emotionally and intellectually are not the same as doing something and making things right and being a good person. Why do we shy away from action? Well, because it's uncomfortable. Action causes discomfort. And that may not sound appealing, but neither is the alternative. A life of comfort and apathy is limited in effectiveness, and it makes no difference. Comfort is not wrong. God isn't against it. God didn't kill the dude because he built a bigger barn. That wasn't the point of the story. The point of the story is the man's heart. It was his neglect of other things that are good and right. See, there are times where we put aside our comfort and we say, it's time for me to do something now. It's time for me to act. It's time for me to get uncomfortable. Times when building a, build, a bigger barn or buying a new car or house aren't the highest priority. Not evil, but they're not the highest priority. Pursuing others over those things is. Times when we say, I value my comfort, but I value making a difference more. And since I can't have it both ways, well, then I have to make a choice. Because you, you, you can't run both two races at the same time. You can't aim at two targets at the same time. You have to choose one. You have to pick one and say, that's the highest priority. Everything else comes in second place. See, being passive may feel safe. If you do nothing, well, then nothing can go wrong. But while inaction cannot fail, it can't succeed either. There's no success. There's no reward in that. People of action, it's uncomfortable. And another thing that pushes us away from acting is that we look at it and think, well, I might fail. Because people who act struggle and fail. And maybe you might say, I've tried it before. I did that. It didn't work. It's not for me. And that might be true of some things, but not everything. Look, making a difference isn't, isn't smooth sailing. And significance, it's messy. It can be overwhelming. It can be inconvenient. There is disappointment in other people. Jesus' words to love those who mistreat you ring true all of a sudden? Like, oh, that's not just an idea, that's literal. Like, I'm trying to help them and love them, and, and boy, they're mistreating me back. Disappointment in yourself and in your own failures begins to set in. But it is the struggle that strengthens and forges and shapes who you become and the legacy that you leave behind you. See, it is the engagement. It is that failure that makes you stronger because you did try. But guess what? Instead of saying, well, I tried and that doesn't work for me, it's I tried and I learned something and now I know something more about myself. 
Now I know that Jesus' words are true and it's not easy. And now I need to press forward and I need to move forward in faith and be a person of Christian action, both being good and doing good. See, Mordecai became a better man because of his struggles with Haman. He goes toe-to-toe with a powerful man. He stands up to this man. Boy, and he gets knocked down. He gets batted around. So many details of the story we don't know. But I guarantee you, Haman didn't go in one moment to the next hating Mordecai. I mean, the guy was dreaming about killing him, and he sets up these gallows. And, and I won't go into the history of those gallows, but it wasn't gallows like Wild West American history gallows. This was like impale the dude on a stick at a really high height type gallows. And he was, he was just fascinated with this idea and daydreaming about the moment that he would take Mordecai's life in gruesome fashion. He's just fac- fixated on this point. And Mordecai goes toe-to-toe with this guy. And it appears before God's intervention and the king's sleepless night that this is all going to happen. But it was that struggle that built the internal strength of Mordecai. And as we saw early in the book and all the way through, this man gets more powerful, he gets more influential, he gets rewarded, he gets blessed, and he uses that newfound blessing and influence to do even more for God. All the way to the very last chapter, God is using this man. See, it's easier to go from failure to success than from inactivity to success. You'll never get there from a position of inactivity. So, well, I might fail, right? You might, but that is the path forward. John Maxwell wrote a book called Intentional Living, and he's a light reading author, and I understand that. But he says some good things, and one thing he said is, when asked to describe significant events, events in the regrets, I'm sorry, when asked to describe significant regrets in their lives, eight out of ten people focus on actions they did not take rather than actions they did. In other words, they focus on things they failed to do rather than things they failed at doing. It's the things that we don't do we're going to regret the most. See, people of action, they have limitations, but that doesn't stop them from doing good. And we should never let what we cannot do keep us from what we can do. A passive life, a life of inactivity, does not equate to a meaningful life. And we are tempted to think this way. Well, I'm just one person. And so what can I do? Okay, well, we just had I Love My Church Sunday, and we had that Sunday night, And did you see what the contributions of one person plus another person plus another person plus another person could do? So, say, well, you can smile. You can say hi. You can walk up to people. There there, there are so many things that we're not thinking. We can have a good attitude. We all can pray. We We all have a lot of influence in our prayer lives. There are so many things that we can do, but we tend to look at limitations and not opportunities. What if we did that in other areas of life? What could we accomplish? See, never underestimate the power of your participation. James 4, 17 says, therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and he doesn't do it. Well, to him it's sin. See, this is the barn builder's problem. But this wasn't Mordecai's problem. Mordecai saw good, and he just, he just did it. 
He thought about other people. When you do good, you live a life that's going to be remembered. When you live in such a way that you are good and you do good, people fondly remember you and they talk about you in ways that you made an impact and difference. There are a lot of people. I've been on staff at this church this week for 19 years. And I've seen um, a lot of people go home to be with the Lord, and you have too. We don't remember all of them equally. Some of them stand out in our minds more than others. Why? Because they were good, and they did good. And boy, those people stick out to us, and we remember them in a different way. See, there's no guarantee that you'll be rewarded for taking a risk and making a positive impact. But there's a guarantee that you will not be rewarded for not making a difference, for not serving, for not taking a risk. Good things happen to people who do good things. It's the law of sowing and reaping. You can't stop the tide. You will reap fruit from the seed you sow. And you will not reap fruit from the seed you don't sow. See, when you do good, it makes you feel good. It's just a principle. And when you do good, it makes other people feel good. And when other people feel good about you, they want to do good to you. And other people are ultimately responsible for the success in your life. And so do good. Good things that you do, they'll be remembered, they'll be rewarded. Man sometimes sees, and a lot of times he doesn't see. There are good things that happen all over this building every single week. I don't see. You don't see. We don't always see the things that people do behind the scenes. Sometimes we see it and we forget about it. We don't get recognized for it. King Ahasuerus' life was saved, and he forgot about Mordecai for a long time. But God didn't forget. And God says, and I'm not a debtor, by the way. He says, you do good towards other people. I'm not going to owe you. I'm going to remember you. And so the heart of the king's in the hand of the Lord. And God says, Ahasuerus, tonight's not a night for good sleep, son. I'm going to wake you up. I'm going to make you read this log of what happened. And I'm going to make you remember the sacrifice of this good man. And I'm going to spare his life. And I'm going to bless him. And I'm going to reward him. See, God always sees. And God always remembers. And God will always reward. And we need to have faith in that process. Hebrews 6.10, God's not a righteous to forget your work and your labor of love. He ain't going to forget it. That work you're doing... That labor of love, that investment in another person's life, that sacrifice you've made, that kindness you've extended, he ain't going to forget it. He's going to remember it. He says, which you have showed toward his name and that you ministered to the saints and then do minister. So here's the question tonight. What good can you do today? Okay, let's make it real practical for your spouse, for those of you that are married. What good could you do for them this week? How could you filter life through their filter? How could you see things from their perspective tonight and say, you know, this would be good for them. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them this way. How about your children? What good could you do for them? How could you bless them? How could you encourage them? How could you take care of them? Think of at least tonight. If you're taking notes, you write this down. If you're not taking notes, then make a mental note. Or if you want to get your phone out, write something in it, do it. For one person in our church family, 
What could you do? Like, God said, I'm not going to forget the labor of love that you extend toward His saints. So find a saint that you can love, that you can make a difference in tonight. That would be one way to practically apply the sermon that would matter for all eternity and be a reward in heaven for your, for your life. What good could you do for someone in this church family, in your workplace? Think of one person you work with. Say, what good could I do for them? In your neighborhood where you live. Well, I don't know anybody in my neighborhood. Well, maybe it's time to know someone. Maybe it's time to, to do something thoughtful for them and invite them to church and make an investment in them before you do that. In Isaiah chapter 2, people were far from God, and one of the things that Isaiah told them was simply this, hey, you guys are far from God, so let's get right. And this is the way forward. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. It says, get rid of all the evil. And then this, learn to do well. Like, just do good. Let's, let's do some good works. Let's do some good things. Let's show our love. Let's prove that we're children of God. And if you don't know how to do well, then learn to do it. Galatians 6 tells us not to be weary in well-doing because it gets tiring. And the Lord says, don't stop. He says, in due season we'll reap if we don't faint. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who have the household of faith. I'm going to tell you tonight, this is important. And sometimes we want to focus on so many other things. And we focus our life and our thinking around the outside of the cup. And Jesus says, your heart, your goodness, your spirit, your attitude, your love that you show towards other people in this place, it matters so much more. So King Xerxes was an earthly king. And he asked this question. He, he remembers the life of Mordecai. And the Bible just says he's delighted to think about this man. He's just, he's just, he's just sitting there smiling, thinking about, here's a guy who did me good. I don't know him. He, he, I, I don't, I, I, he didn't owe me anything. He, he could have benefited maybe in some way even from my death. And it brought him delight. And so he asked this question. What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? What if the other king, with a capital K, were to ask that about your life? As he sits there and as the Lord, the, the eyes of the Lord walk to and fro across the earth, and as he marches across the auditorium tonight, and he's thinking about you, would the question come to his mind, they delight me. Like they do good towards other people. That delights me. What, I, what can I do for them? Hey, let, 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 me, let me bless them. Let me open up the storehouse of heaven and let me just do something special with this person. Because they're thinking about other people. And I delight in that. And they're protecting my interests. And they love others. And, and even those that maybe are a little harder to love, they're still serving and loving and extending acts of service toward them. Let's be more like Mordecai. Let's find delight in the eyes of the king. And those parts of Haman in our heart that we struggle with, let's fight that. Let's fight that tonight. Let's force ourselves to say, you know what, I'm going to be good. And I'm going to do good. And Lord, would you help me in this process? Let me just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment.